Welcome back to the AngelMD On Call podcast. I am Brad McCarty. Now that Health Further is in the rear view, I wanted to see if I could uh, catch up with Dr. Mario Ramirez. He's part of the healthcare technology ecosystem within the Nashville, Tennessee community. Dr. Ramirez is currently the chief medical officer at Affirm Health, but he also works with a company called Briovation, which is the parent company of Health Further, among some other interesting ventures as well. I joined Dr. Ramirez in the offices at Jumpstart Foundry in Nashville, and we had a conversation that I'm pretty sure you're going to find interesting. Thanks for listening. Mario, it's not really fair to even say health further. You've got a lot of titles behind your name and a lot of companies, right? So kind of give us the rundown here. Sure. Well, thanks for thanks for having me, Brad. I'm really excited to be here with you. Um, so I'm uh, first and foremost a practicing ER physician. Uh, I still practice about full-time uh, out in uh, the community. Uh, but then in addition to that, I hold two jobs. So the first, I'm the chief medical officer at a software company named Affirm Health, uh, and we help physicians with uh, opioid regulatory compliance. And in addition to that, I work as the Chief Medical Development Officer uh, here at Briovation, uh, which is the parent company that sits over Jumpstart Foundry, uh, Jumpstart Capital, uh, as well as Health Further. Uh, and each of those are three sort of distinct verticals, um, the first two primarily focused in the health investment space, and then the third, Health Further, being our Health Ideas Festival. And so I, I actually had a chance to hear you talk a, a bit at Health Further, and that's kind of what spawned this conversation. Uh, tell me a little bit about, for those people who are unfamiliar, uh, kind of the, the genesis of Health Further and, and what it's become today. Yeah, so Health Further initially started uh, four years ago. This is the fourth year that we, we just had it in late August. Um, and it originally started uh, as a way for us to bring ideas and thinkers together uh, who were interested in talking about Uh, health innovation, uh, and in some ways a little bit differently than other conferences and other festivals have uh, positioned themselves. I think Health Further is very much a grassroots effort, and we make room for everybody in the tent. Um, And I think we've traditionally had a digital health heavy focus. Um, Some of that has broadened over the last few years, Um, but the festival's grown from about 600 attendees to nearly 2,000 this last year. Uh, We pulled participants in from all over the country. I would say about half of those come from the Midwest and the Southeast, and then the remaining half come from the coasts uh, and other parts of the United States. And, you know, we were excited this year to have three different um, international delegations. So a lot of great um, growth in the festival. And I think we've expanded the tent now so that it's not just about, uh, I think, health and digital health innovation, but now we've got a number of tracks that focus on other things, including clinician entrepreneurship, which Mm -hmm. is an area that's, you know, certainly... uh, near and dear to my heart, Um, but then also uh, talking about things like blockchain, interoperability, um, healthcare financing, so a lot of growth going on with Health Further. Right, and talking about the the geography of side, or the geography of things, we're in the healthcare city. I I think pretty much anybody who has been around healthcare for any amount of time knows, you know, Nashville as healthcare. Um, What do we know here? that other people haven't learned yet? What makes it special to be in Nashville and to, to kind of base things out of this area? That's a great question, Brian. You know, in some ways, I feel like Nashville is healthcare's, uh, you know, worst kept secret. Uh, <laughs> because, you know, when people think about Nashville, the first, you know, couple of words that come to mind usually are Music City, and people don't realize that it is a healthcare-heavy city unless you happen to live here or you work primarily in healthcare. Right. Um, you know, I think people tend to equate cities like Boston, um, or you know, certainly Silicon Valley or some of those other locations as being sort of more 
healthcare focused. Um, but here in Nashville, I think we occupy or have occupied in the past a particular niche that really focused around uh, healthcare services delivery. Mm-hmm. You know, certainly, we HCA is headquartered here. A number of other sort of big hospital corporations have their headquarters here. Um, but I think that's changing over the last few years. I think Nashville is undergoing a little bit of a pivot. There's a lot more growth in this sort of entrepreneur community here. And so there's people that are moving to Nashville uh, and I think are using that sort of backbone that existed for the last you know 40 years and building off of that and turning this into a much more sort of innovation-focused city. It's interesting that you talk about how long it's been here. I, I remember when I moved here... Um, eight, ten years ago, something of that nature, I, I, I kind of did a deep dive on local startups and wanted to try to find mm-hmm. ten startups that, that people around the world should know about. And, and kind of what I found through my interviews during that time was that uh, there weren't necessarily at that point ten startups that the world really needed to know about. There, there were definitely ten startups, but, but there just wasn't a lot of activity around them yet. Uh, what has changed in the past few years to make this area more viable than it used to be? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think there's a number of things, some of which are specific to Nashville, some of which are not. I mean, I think as a whole across the country, the barriers to entry mm-hmm. into the innovation into the innovation space have come down. And some of that uh, is in part due to, you know, things like increased broadband access, uh, you know, increased education around uh, accessing digital health uh, and software development, um, but then also I think there's been you know an increased focus since the High Tech Act on interoperability and some of those other policy changes that have sort of created a more fertile landscape for right. people outside of the big sort of hubs uh, or traditional hubs to kind of break into that space. The other thing you know that's specific to Nashville though is that I think there's so much more capital that's flown in here uh, in you know I would say the last twenty years, specifically the last ten years, that you know has created you know, an opportunity for people to maybe take some more chances, um, you know, maybe sort of move a little further to the left in the, like, innovation and entrepreneur space. Sure. So that people are willing to invest earlier and kind of help foster and nurture some of that growth that we traditionally didn't see because capital was a little more restricted here. So you say, you had said that you're still a practicing physician. When did you know that you needed to move and do something beyond the emergency department? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I think I'm, like a lot of emergency physicians, because I think this is, a, this is a theme that you'll hear resonate frequently in, in ER physicians, but also I think in you know, physician specialties uh, that are a little more uh, amenable to um, uh, like specific uh, scheduling, which is different than like an internal internist or a surgeon or sure. something like that. I think among specialties like mine, we see a little more of this, this attitude, but my story was a little bit different. I came up, you know, right after 9-11, and actually my first foray out of the traditional ER world was in the defense space. So I actually joined oh, wow. the military for a while, um, spent some time overseas, um, and was working in sort of the national security structure for a while. And then uh, at that time, I moved to D.C. and went to go work in government for a while. And at the end of that, um, had helped start a nonprofit company with a friend of mine uh, that was essentially... Um, helping the federal government supply public health infrastructure uh, mm. around the world. And, you know, I really sort of got interested in creating something from scratch that hadn't been there before. I mean, essentially there had been no company or no nonprofit that was really trying to do what we were doing. Um, but there were challenges associated with uh, public health funding and, and having the federal government as your primary funding source. Sure. So 
uh, about two years ago, my wife was getting recruited back to Nashville and we decided we were going to come back. And I decided that I really wanted to try to use that as a career pivot time a little bit and try to figure out how I was going to move away from the national security structure, um, but also, you know, hold on to that idea of creating something uh, from scratch and, mm-hmm. and something where, you know, I felt like the private sector uh, really had a little more to give in some ways than working in the public sector did. Um, and the great thing about Nashville, uh, you know, is that the, the barriers to entry are, are low. And if you're willing to, you know, if you're willing to come back to the city and you're willing to just roll your sleeves up and, and start working, you know, people will meet with you, people will talk to you, people will give you a chance. Uh, and that's something that's a little harder in other places. So what does a typical day look like for you now? Um, so I spend about 14 days a month uh, in the ER. So those are usually scattered throughout the week. Um and the weekends and nights. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so those days tend to get blocked off first. Sure. Uh, and then uh, apart from that, I spend about uh, two days a week in the office uh, here at Briovation uh, and then sort of constantly working at night or kind of in off <laughs> hours. Uh, and then the rest of the time I'm, I'm working for Firm Health. Okay. Um, so it's a, pretty, it's a pretty fluid structure. Every day is different. Okay. Um, it keeps things interesting. Yep, that's right. So what... Tell me a little bit more about Affirm Health. You, you kind of you talked us through a little bit of the the three verticals of the company. How do these all play together, or do they play together? And and how does it play into kind of the bigger picture of healthcare entrepreneurship? Sure. And so actually, I think you're talking about Briovation, not I, I, not Affirm Health. I, uh, you're you're right. Sorry. Right. <laughs> uh, but Bri- Briovation is the the parent company over uh, three distinct verticals. So the first is uh, Health Further, which I think is our largest uh, sort of tent and we you know we welcome everybody under that umbrella uh, and it's a chance for everybody from entrepreneurs to investors to payers to providers uh, to come together and talk about you know where they think healthcare is headed in the next several years where they think the space is ripe for innovation um, and maybe try to create networks that wouldn't otherwise exist um, and a big part of that is uh, tapping into the entrepreneur community and trying to attract people uh, that want to come and show off their work uh, and possibly tap into that community. And so of that, uh, some segment will apply to Jumpstart Foundry, which mm-hmm. is our second vertical. And Jumpstart Foundry initially started as a traditional kind of accelerator, right. not specific to healthcare, although that uh, focus changed uh, several years ago. And now all of our investments are in the healthcare space. Um, but that operates in some ways similar to an accelerator. We raise a fund every year. We invest in between 15 and 18 companies um, for some equity stake in the company. And then we help nurture them along. I think it's a little bit different than some accelerators uh, in that our, our help has traditionally focused around getting those entrepreneurs out in front of healthcare buyers and healthcare uh, change makers who can help connect folks uh, to help those companies flourish. Okay. It's a little bit different than some of the others that offer like a primary teaching curriculum or some of those other things. Right. Um, and then the third is uh, Jumpstart Capital, uh, which is a larger fund uh, that's in the current process of being raised um, and will traditionally focus on, I think, late seed to early Series A investments to really sort of help nurture those companies that are kind of in that valley between uh, the really early seed stage or the like angel stage sure. and are not quite at a series A uh, and that's a valley where we've seen you know a number of our companies a number of other companies struggle to raise funding a little bit and so we're going to help bridge that gap okay uh, 
It, it's interesting. I heard a presentation on the, the last day of health further about uh, kind of what you guys are doing as far as your fundraising and, and, and where you invest. It actually lines up pretty similar, similarly, there we go, if I can spit the word out, to what we do with Angel and D, where it's uh, either seed or, you know, kind of almost Series A, uh, you know, and, and occasional Series A round as well. Uh, what does the funding landscape look like when you are more focused on a singular area? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Brad. And it's actually the it was an area of focus that I wanted to make sure that we talked about uh, at uh, like this clinician investor breakfast that mm-hmm. we had because I think if you're a if you're a clinician and you're looking at the investment landscape and you're trying to figure out where you may want to sort of invest some of your money, there's a couple of different things to consider. And I think you know there's a there's a difference between jumpstart foundry and jumpstart capital uh, and you know angel MD. I think you're right in that we both both groups try to leverage clinician expertise. Um, Jumpstart Foundry, I think, operates a little more like a you know a traditional fund in that you know you choose to invest in the fund. We have a fund manager who helps make those investment decisions, and then you know after the investments are made, you own you know some slice of eighteen companies right. uh, as part of this portfolio. Angel MD, I think, is a little bit different in that you know you you pull from the kind of intellectual capital that exists yep. in the physician and clinician community. Um, but then, you know, you essentially get to decide what it is exactly that you want to invest in. Right. Um, which is, you know, it's, it's really interesting. And I think they're not exclusive. Um, we certainly know lots of folks who do both. Yeah. I'm a member of Angel MD and I, I happen to really enjoy the platform because I think it gives me a chance to, um, you know, rely a little bit more, I think, on, on the clinical expertise that, mm-hmm. that I've built. Um, and so, for I, I think the direct answer to your question about what the funding landscape looks like, in a way, depends on where it is that you think you want to sort of deploy your capital. Sure. So when we're talking in the Nashville area, uh, what's the future look like for us? I mean, we're we're pretty exciting times as far as anyone you know, kind of at a glance can tell. Is is that a, a fair assumption? It's a great question. Uh, you know, I think if you asked uh, 20 different people in the city, you'd get 20 <laughs> different answers. Um, you know, I think um, Nashville is, in some ways, at a, at a really exciting place, right? There's lots of capital that's come to the city. There's lots of new intellectual capital, which is different than financial capital, obviously. Right. Um, but the other thing, I think, is that there's so much change that's going on in healthcare, you know, in particular, because of organizations like HCA and some of the others that are here in the city, Nashville grew and has grown on the backs of fee-for-service healthcare delivery. Mm-hmm. And depending on, you know, who you ask or which way your politics blow or any other number of, <laughs> you know, sort of X factors, uh, you know, managed care is either going to come in and revolutionize, you know, healthcare and this fee-for-service model is going to go away mm-hmm. uh, or... You know, people are going to double down and say we've just got to figure out how to deliver that more efficiently. And I don't, I don't really think that anybody knows yet. Um, you know, I think a big part of Nashville's future is going to depend on how all that plays out. Um, you know, I, I can see a world where uh, you know things really don't change that much either because you know political inertia just continues, or sure. you know we figure out how to deliver things more effectively. And you know, I think Nashville will kind of continue to innovate on the margins. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you could also say. You know, as things like bundled care, um, you know, accountable care organizations, some of these other things come in and really change the payer 
delivery model, right? Nashville will need to change with that because if it doesn't, it will struggle. There was a really interesting talk at Health Further uh, from a gentleman whose name I don't remember off the top of my head, but he was from Walmart of all places, yeah. which kind of at one moment made my jaw drop, and 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 so he was talking about. Kind of the uh, the market as it stands today, with it being a consumer's market, a shopper's market when it comes to healthcare. Do you think that that's going to play into what we see here? I mean, you know, it's kind of kind of that larger conversation of of ACOs versus fee for service and and what have you. You know, it's a, it's a great question. It's one that I'm just kind of like internally conflicted about a little bit. Uh, <laughs> you know, wearing my hat as the as a clinician on some days of the week, and then sure. Because I think, um, you know, let me take a step back and say that, uh, you know, that first day of Health Further, one of the messages that I took home was, you know, change is coming to healthcare, and you can either get on board with this or you can get out of the way. Yeah. And I think that, you know, sometimes that creates a little bit of a gut check for people who work clinically, uh, you know, who've devoted a lot of time to education, a lot of time to actually delivering care at the bedside when you have, you know, some of these folks who aren't as directly connected to patient care sort of dictating what they think is going to happen in the healthcare space. Right. And I always think it's interesting how much of that population says that it's a consumers-driven market, and then when I go into the hospital, how little of it feels like it's actually a, a yeah. free choice market. Right. Um, you know, it's because uh, most patients uh, don't directly pay out of pocket for their health care. You know, we're talking about a very inefficient market space mm-hmm. that is not driven by traditional consumer behavior. Um, I think there is a real interest and a real desire for increased access to care and trying to find a way to make it easier. Um, but I think there's also a reason why we've seen things like telehealth and some of these other things struggle a little bit because people don't consume healthcare the way that they consume other commodities. Interesting. Um, and so, you know, I think that there's still some struggle that's got to play out there before, you know, it really becomes a true consumer's market. I think, you know, there's. It's more than hints, uh, but it's not total uptake. Okay. That model yet. More than hints. I, yeah. That's a it's a good way of putting it. I think. <laughs> well, I think you've got to look at you know players like Amazon, Walmart, some of these other folks, right. and, and recognize that you know these are huge market shifters who are going to really change the market. Right. Uh, but what that looks like, you know, is still anyone's guess. So I I want to kind of finish out with the last couple of questions here as pieces of advice, if you had to give them. Um, as a physician who is who has made the transition into entrepreneur, who has also made the transition into as some level an investor as well, what advice would you give to those people who are sitting back and thinking about doing it and are still kind of on the fence? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> I think <laughs> um, so. The first, the first piece of advice I I would say is you know take any advice that I give you with a grain of salt. <laughs> that's probably good advice for anybody's advice. Um, you know, I think, um, you know, in a way, some of what is going on in healthcare among the clinician community is, I think, a struggle um, for the soul of what medical education needs to be now. You know, I think there's a recognition that the, the way that we have taught and trained clinicians over the last, you know, 60, 75, even 100 years has to change with the new way that we're delivering care. Okay. And as part of that, the, the curriculum needs to change, uh, right? So that there's a reason that we see MD, MBAs as one of the largest growing right. segments of postgraduate education. Right. Um, because, you know, people realize that there's market 
forces at work that you know are changing the way that care is delivered, but also what it takes to be successful in this marketplace. And in some ways, even the definition of what success looks like, mm-hmm. right? Because so few people actually own their practices anymore. People are you know increasingly seeing their practices bought up. So you know, I think if I was going to give people an advice, I would say. Um, you know, it's important to diversify your exposure to things early in life and earlier in your career. Okay. Um, because I think there's two sort of competing models. So the first are, you know, people who are relatively early in their, you know, clinical training or clinical practice and, um, you know, still have that, you know, kind of intellectual rigor and bandwidth to kind of explore other stuff. But then you sort of get into this valley as you get into your 40s and your 50s where your primary focus is on revenue generation, putting money away for retirement or college or all these other things that you start to get handcuffed a little bit. And so what you sometimes see is people coming out on the back end of that, sometimes not always frustrated with their clinical practice or sort of, you know, feeling intellectually void and trying to find that out on the back end. And, you know, all of those different things lend themselves to different ways of getting involved. So I think you know, folks who follow that second model tend to be a little more investor heavy okay. because they have the actual capital to deploy. So my advice is that if you feel like your primary interest is, you know, going to be in seeding and funding early stage companies, that you go out and work really hard clinically or, you know, do something that's going to generate a lot of revenue, you know, for 20 or 30 years before you try to get into that space. But if you're interested in being a part of the process, if you want to work in the startup space, if you want to be, you know, an an early stage CMO, or you want to be, uh, you know, part of an accelerator like I like I work at here. Uh, I think you've really sort of got to like redouble your efforts and plan to spend more time early sure. in your career doing it. I had an interesting talk with Dr. Jeffrey Hausfeld uh, a couple of days ago, and he brought up a point that I had never really considered, but I, I, I would want to bounce it off of you because I think that you're an ideal person to ask this question to. He said that there's less of a stigma now about going through medical school and spending a, maybe a year or two in practice and then basically dropping it to become either an entrepreneur or an investor or, or what have you. Uh, w- would you agree with that? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great uh, point for discussion. And I, I love Jeff, actually. I think Jeff is one of the smartest, smartest people I know in this space. Um, He's incredible. I think you're right on the one hand that there is less of a stigma towards it. I mean, I think traditionally uh, there was a guilt complex associated <laughs> with leaving your clinical practice to go do some of these other things. Because, if, you know, if you go to medical school, you should ideally, you know, apply that training in the care right. of actual patients. Right. Because if not, there's no point. Um, you know, and I, that's part of why I still practice because I still, you know, there's a part of me that still feels that way. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the chance to, you know, sort of, lay your hands on patients, actually deliver healthcare is something that so few people get to do um, that, you know, in some ways it's unfortunate that we give that up early in life. Um, But I think it's also undeniably true uh, that you can't be all things to everyone and you can't do everything all the time. And so it's extremely hard to practice clinically and, you know, do some of these other things at the same time. And, you know, I think in this sort of existential search for, happiness and the meaning of professional fulfillment, uh, you know, I think that's going to, that's going to mean different things to different people at, you know, different points in their life. Um, the other thing that I think, you know, sort of frames this from an interesting perspective is that we're also 
depending on who you ask, coming to the end of a relatively economic boom time. Right. Um, and so the risk trade-off calculus there has been different. Yeah. So for so many physicians who came out of their training in the last 10 to 12 years, you know, your chance of success with a startup was certainly better than it was 20 years ago. Right. Uh, or, you know, 25 years ago. And so, you know, coming out of that place, um, you know, I, I think that helps shape the, the discussion a little bit. I think if we see... You know, an, an economic downturn and things aren't as successful as they've been for the last 12 to 15 years. We may see people shift back yeah. in the other direction. And I think the other part of this that's driving a lot of this is just frustration with, you know, the the sort of payment and delivery things that are... Yeah, the, the status quo. Right, exactly. Issues. You know, I think if we can find a way to fix that and, you know, people actually enjoy the, the act of delivering healthcare again. Right. Uh, you know, we may see more people who want to stay clinically. So, Mario, final question for you. This has kind of become my favorite go-to ending question because my library is ever-expanding. What's the last book that you recommended to someone? Um, The last book that I read, actually, that I I think is great, not just for... um, it, not just in business, but actually great for healthcare folks is uh, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Oh, yeah. So okay. uh, Chris Voss, was a, he's an old FBI uh, negotiator. Yeah. And it, it, he makes this interesting argument, I think, that um, you know negotiation is not the act of finding the best middle agreement uh, and that that's actually a bad outcome when we kind of agree to meet somewhere in the middle and that it actually really doesn't effectively meet Mm-hmm. Anyone's ends, um, and it's interesting how many of the like sort of techniques and his approach to negotiation we can apply. Uh, you know, not only in business, but I also you know frequently turn lean on some of these when I'm talking with patients. Right. You know, because I think there's a lot of the patient care delivery um, model that is a negotiation in some ways, yeah. and that's changed over the years. Right. I mean, we've moved from a very paternalistic uh, medicine model to one in where we kind of cooperate with our patients which I think is a good change um, but that means that we are in the you know sometimes awkward position of trying to do what's best for our patients without them necessarily feeling that it's <laughs> in their best interest right trying to negotiate that difference so I think that book is great I would highly recommend it for anybody who's you know working clinically or interested in some of these outside ventures um, let's see are there any others that I really recommend um, the other one that I read that I think is great is Venture Deals. Oh, ah, yeah, uh, Brad Feld. You know, I think there is a real absence of um, information and understanding within the physician community mm-hmm. about how, uh, you know, venture deals are structured, how, you know, angel investment actually works. So for people who are either interested in starting their own companies or interested in investing in different companies, you know, I think that's a critical book for just understanding how this whole thing works and will right. take you from... You know, not knowing anything to knowing more than ninety five percent of the people in the room. So <laughs> absolutely. Well, and and, and Brad Feld is a uh, long time, incredibly smart investor who has been wildly successful at what he yeah. does. So you know, kind of speaking from a position of, of uh, authority on that as well. Yeah. Well, Mario, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it, and for opening up the offices today, which is interesting, by the way. As kind of a parting note, I, I when I asked for a, an address. I kind of figured I'd be in the medical part of downtown, but we're not. We're over here. What, what is this? Officially five points East yeah, Nashville. We're in, we're in East Nashville now. Yeah. yeah, right. I mean, it's it's funny, right? But uh, you know, you can be a guy with a laptop and you're a startup company, right? Right. <laughs> so right. you know, we're we're in East Nashville, and I think 
this is as much a healthcare focus in Nashville as you know Cool Springs or any of these other sure. areas are. So sure. Uh, but thanks for coming in and thanks for having me on the show. All right. Great. We'll talk soon. Our thanks to Dr. Ramirez for making the time to talk with us. This has been On Call from Angel MD. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review if you would. If you've got feedback for us, we'd love to hear it. I'm Brad McCarty from AngelMD, and we'll see you next time on the AngelMD On Call podcast.